Well, good morning. Uh, that's good. I, I like the response. I like the feedback. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we, we're continuing our, our series in the book of Acts. Uh, and as we've been doing for a while now, if you're new, we're jumping back into it. Uh, we're still on Paul's first missionary journey to Poseidon, Antioch. Um, and b- before we jump into that, I want to do a little experiment with us here this morning. And so uh, just for your sake that you um, feel more comfortable, I'll, I'll ask everyone, no cheating, everyone to close your eyes. And I want you to close your eyes for a minute, and I want you to dream for me just for a little bit. I want you to dream, where will you be? Imagine where you will be in five years. Imagine who you are in five years from now. What dreams do you have for who you'll be or where you'll go? I want you to dream, really dream. I mean, this is the time just to dream big, right? I mean, what if you had your dream job and you're getting paid twice what you're getting paid now? Oh, Lord. Picture that dream house. What color is it? How many stories is it? Do you have a huge backyard? Now, what about if you're not married? Are, are you picturing, a, are you married now in this dream? Who are you married to? Is it the one that got away? If you're already married, do you have kids? Are those kids all grown up now? Are they actually well behaved? Remember, this is a dream. <laughs> you could dream it. You could dream it. Now, with all of that money that you have, where are you going on your trips around the world, family vacations? Where, where are you going to go visit? What food are you going to be eating on, this, on these trips? What restaurants are you visiting? Now, I want you, as you're thinking of this dream, all of a sudden, I want you now to imagine that your enemy, the person you least like, is the one that got that job, is the one that is now married to that person and is now going on those family vacations, this fantasy life. They're living it instead of you. You can open your eyes. How does that feel? It's kind of an abrupt halt to the dreams. How does it make you feel? I think if you're honest with yourself, you might be thinking, I'm going to murder that guy. They are dead. (laughs) We've got one kid saying yes. (laughs) But most of us, if we're not that extreme as saying, I'm going to murder them, instead of saying, I'm going to murder them or thinking evil, evil thoughts, we we might want to tone it back and we say something like, must be nice. You heard that phrase before, must be nice? And it's this common phrase that makes very crystal clear that it's nice for somebody. It's it's nice for somebody, but not me. Amen? You felt that before? Yeah, that's good for you. Must be nice. I mean, it must be nice to get those long vacations. Somebody has that nice house. Somebody has that family. Somebody has that job. Must be nice. And I think if you're honest with yourself, you really don't have to imagine too hard for this dream five years down the road with your arch nemesis living it out. You've probably said must be nice in some way, in some level, to someone along the road, right? Today we're going to look at a passage here where the Jewish people are saying, must be nice. 
to you, the Gentile. A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. And so must be nice to you, the Gentile. And so we're going to be looking at Acts 13, verses 44 through 52. And it's going to be read to us in Arabic by Doreen. And so please stand. Let's, let's stand as God, we're going to hear God's word. Uh, Malcolm, will you give her the mic? And would you come all the way up here, Doreen? وفي سبت التالي اجتمعت كل المدينة قريبا لتسمع كلمة الله فلما رأى اليهود الجموع امتلقوا غيره وجعلوهم يقومون ما قاله بولس منتقدين ومجدفين فجاهر بولس برنابا وقال كان يجب أن تكلموا أنتم أولا بكلمة الله ولكن أذا دفعتهم عنكم ورحتكم أنكم غير مستحقين للحياة الأبدية هو زن توجه إلى الأمام الآن هكذا أوصانا الرب قد أقمتم نورا للأمم لتكن أنتم خلاصا في أقضى الأرض فلما سمع الأمم ذلك كانوا يفرحون ويمجدون كلمة الرب وآمن جميعا الذين كانوا معينين للحياة الأبدية وانتشرت كلمة الرب في كل الكرة ولكن اليهود حركوا النساء المتعبدات الشريفات ورجها المدينة وأثاروا اضطهادا على بولس وبرنابا وأخرجوهم من تخويمهم وأما هما فنفض غيارهم أرجلهم عليهم وأتينا إلى أيقونية وأما التلاميذ فكانوا يمتلئون من الفرح والروح القدس This is the word of the Lord Thanks be to God Thank you very much May be seated Let's pray Father again we thank you for the, the beauty of your word and the beauty of hearing it in, in, in other languages uh, Lord, even if we, we may not have understood what was read, we got to see it, but we got to hear it over us, read over us, Lord. We need your word. We are, we are dependent upon it. And so, Lord, would, we, would you make your word um, valuable to us this morning, Lord, that we would not waste this moment this morning, Lord, that we would be very attentive to what you have to say to us because we need you and we need your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, today we're going to look at the passage here. We're going to look at it in three sections. We're going to look at the poison, the promise, and the person. All right, the, the poison, the promise, and the person. And so the poison of this text, I think, is actually very evident uh, if you're able to follow along. Uh, if we look at verses 44 and 45, it says, "The next, the Sabbath, uh, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him." Now, I'm going to use these terms jealousy and envy interchangeably, which I know there is some nuances between those two words, but I think both emotions are on display here in this text. And so when you think of envy, I think a way that it's helpful to think of envy is this way. Envy is not saying, I, I, I mean, I really just wish I had an iPhone. Envy is saying, I want your iPhone. It's darker, right? So envy is not just saying, man, I wish I had a life. Envy is saying, I wish I had your life. It's kind of sinister, right? And so envy is the enemy of love. Say that again. Envy is the enemy of love because it's never happy with others. Like envy never rejoices over others. You can think of that great love passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that we hear at weddings a lot. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, it does, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, 
but rejoices with the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And envy does none of that. And envy can't even do any of that. Envy is saying, why not me? That's, that essentially, that's what must be nice is saying to people. We're like, must be nice. Why not me? I mean, I mean the reverse of that, of envy, is instead of being happy at someone's, instead of being sad at someone's happiness, you're now happy at their sadness. And that's even darker, right? That you see someone who's miserable and you, 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 you grin a little bit. I mean, envy is, is this, this emotion of the saying, like, my happiness is only there in relation to your happiness. And I can only be happy if you're not. Right? I mean, it's, but it's the, it's the ugly duckling of the seven deadly sins, right? Have you ever seen someone be envious or jealous? It's not a good look. Right? But the seven deadly sins, that they're deadly, so don't do them. But of the seven deadly, it's the only one that there's zero enjoyment of. The others, there's some enjoyment before you die. But you can look at them. You can say greed, lust, sloth, gluttony, pride, even wrath. You can enjoy those, but envy there is no enjoyment of. It's the epitome of discontent, of being miserable. Proverbs 14.30 says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Oh, man. You ever felt like your bones are just rotting? You know what envy is. I mean, when I, when I compare myself with someone else, there, there's just this miserable feeling that's always there that I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough in comparison. And so envy, though, it's going to find something wrong in every single situation. Right? Think about Israel. They, they, were, they were freed. They, 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 were, they were liberated out of, out of, out of slavery. And, and then they started to say, while they're out in, in the fields, out in the desert, they started saying, Man, we had it pretty good back in slavery. Like, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> I mean, all this bread that's coming from heaven, it's getting kind of monotonous. But then they fed us so well. <laughs> I don't know if that's what happened. It was, it's absurd. But envy is finding something wrong in everything. There's a, there's a New York Times article that, was, that came out in the, in the 90s, uh, and it's called Picky, Picky, Picky. And, and, and this, this author writes about that, that in his city of New York that every human being he comes in contact with is just super picky. And they seem to find the flaws in everything. And so they have, he says what every human being in New York City, and, and I would say the rest of the world has, is the flaw-matic. Right? They, they, they focus on the flaws in everything and all, all that's wrong and nothing's good enough. And for New York City, this comes out very easily when you go to art studios or you go to restaurants and you just become this critic and it, like, you're nobody until you shame somebody in, in, that, in that regard. Like, you don't seem like a good critic unless you're able to criticize someone. And that, that, that's kind of that's how it starts. But then he started to see, this, this author started to see this happen in relationships. And so he was watching a TV show that was on during that time called The Love Connection. I don't know if you've heard of this. And, 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 and uh, he was watching this contestant talk to the, to the host, and, and the contestant was explaining the date that he went on. Um, and he says, well, the date started out great. This man said, she, op she opened the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she looked fantastic. She had a beautiful face. She had a gorgeous smile. 
Everything was going fine until she turned around. And then this is when the guy gets very ominous. He says, Chuck, the host, Chuck, she had dirty elbows. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> she had dirty elbows. Her elbows were just filthy. And, and, and so the guy went on with the rest of the date, but he knew at that point that the date was doomed. The author, the author said, my first instinct was to, you know, maybe you guys can go to some counseling, maybe some soap and water, and things would be okay. But he realized it wouldn't matter. This guy would find something else to, to, to complain about because envy is finding something to complain about in everything. Dirty elbows? No, no. Now, you may not have gone that far into being that, that picky of, of complaining and comparison, but does any of this sound true to you? That sound true to some of us? I mean, think about the places in your life where, where you should be finding joy and happiness. Why isn't it there? We are poisoned with envy, and, and so nothing is good enough, and everything is a comparison. And I think this usually comes out maybe in, in our jobs, and we say, like, why is my company not doing as good as their company? Why am I not making as much as them? You can see this happening in our body image. You know, we, we, we just are never satisfied with how we look. You can see this coming out in relationships, just like this article, and say, like, well, I wish my marriage was a lot like that marriage or this, this marriage. I wish they had clean elbows. I mean, envy is this poison that just creeps into everything we do. Where we could be happy, it kills it. And yeah, I have a good life, but it's not their life. I mean, it comes out in so many different ways. For me, a while back, uh, I had what I call lawn envy. And Kristen will attest to this. We would be driving by, and I would see someone else's grass, and I'd just be like, oh, that's some good grass over there. <laughs> like, it is just so well cut. And it's so green, and it's so trim. It's just perfect. Like, my grass got crabgrass. I mean, I got, I got terrible grass. And I just got angry about grass. Who cares? It's grass. You're going to mow it again in a week. And so I'm just asking myself, what am I talking about? But there was this envy, this condition that had something to complain about, something to say I'm not satisfied, and to find fault in everything. So where does that creep out for you? I mean, we all have it. We all have this. I think... I think of an easy way to reveal where this creeps out is in maybe in social media. And so as we, as we are scrolling and staring and comparing, this is where I think it, it, you start to realize where that envy comes out. I think I, I read a study that reported a third of Generation Z are quitting social media, a th more than a third are quitting social media because they see how anxious, sad, and depressed they are. Another study out of the University of Pittsburgh found a correlation between the time spent scrolling and a negative body image. I'm just saying, not me. Doesn't look like me. Not as good of a life. And there's just this depression that hits because we're just constantly comparing ourselves with one another. It's as Dr. Tim Bono, the author of When Likes Aren't Enough, says, when we derive our sense of worth based on how we are doing relative to others, we place our happiness in a variable that is completely beyond our control. And so our happiness isn't even in our hands, it's in someone else's hands. And the Jews, in our text here, they see, they see more people than they've ever seen come into the synagogues. And instead of saying, what an opportunity, 
What an opportunity to talk to them about, about the way. What an opportunity now to even to say what about the true Jesus, the true Savior. They are filled with jealousy, it says, because of the crowds. It wasn't even whether Paul and Barnabas' messages were true or not. It was that they drew a crowd, and they felt jealousy over that. And so that jealousy is just this poison, and it's also a prison. And so it's poisoning you, it's killing you, but it's, it's a prison where it doesn't let you actually enjoy anything. It's locking you in from ever enjoying anything ever again. And that's why Paul gives us the promise of God. Paul takes some time in verses 46 um, here. It says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to the Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And so Paul doesn't say, I'm, I'm done with the Jews. We, we don't ever get to be done with anyone, ever. We don't get to write them off. And so the gospel f- first comes to the Jews, but because they are poisoned and imprisoned in their own thinking, they can't even hear the message. That promise is the cure to that poison. The promise that God gave back in Genesis, that I will be your God and you will be my people, is the cure to that poison of envy. He's saying, I, I will be your God and you will be my people, and this promise is for everyone And so there's no need to be jealous. Like, what are you jealous over? You can have it. The promise was given to Abraham to work through his lineage, but it was given through the Jews to reach the world. But the the world, the world, look at verse uh, 47. We are about to see the promise of a multicultural church is not an afterthought. Paul is actually quoting Isaiah here, but in verse 47 he says, So the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul is citing Isaiah 49.6, which is usually interpreted to be about Jesus, about the servant. And so this, this passage that's looking towards the servant, and it's it, it, it say, I have made you, this servant, a light for the Gentiles. Jesus was the light for the Gentiles that he may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Paul in, is now allocating this verse to be about him and Barnabas and saying that I have made, he, he has made us a light to the Gentiles. He has taken what is about Jesus and made it about him. It, it's this, this argument from greater to the lesser. And so the task that Jesus continues here on this earth is through his commissioned servants. This is why we say we are church, because we are part of what God's plan is to reach the nations. That, that Jesus came to this world and he's commissioned Paul and Barnabas, but he's also commissioned us, right? This is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8, that we are to be ju- witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we are seeing the fulfillment to the ends of the earth that is beginning right here in this first missionary journey. But it's showing us that the gospel is global. That the gospel is global. And so if you cut off part of the world, you cut off part of the gospel, if you cut off part of the world, you cut off part of the gospel. Like, we, we need that. It, it's multinational by nature. This is part of God's plan. This isn't trendy. This isn't political. This is Bible. Amen? In Romans 1, Paul says, I have an obligation to bring it to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. Meaning, he, he's saying, I owe it to them. 
right? This is not because Paul created the gospel or he's borrowing it. It's because God gave it to him and said, give it to the rest of the world. He has been commissioned to go do this, to go make disciples. And we've been commissioned by the Great Commission to go make disciples of all ethnicities, all nations. And so we, we, what we are doing here is we, we, something that we just can't get around. What we're doing here at Mosaic isn't different, isn't above or beyond. It's simply listening to what the Master has told us to do. And so this promise is for all who are far off. But again, Paul says, but I'm going to go to the Jew first. I'm going to go to the synagogues first. These missionary journeys, they go, to the, they go to the synagogues first, and then they move out. And so the promise is for you and for all who would believe. Everyone who would believe. And so you don't have to have fear of missing out. Like, you don't have to have fear of missing out because he had you in mind. And so if envy is discontent at what you've got, then the cure to envy is realizing what you've got. If envy is saying, I don't have enough, the cure to that is to see the bank account that you have that is just full. If envy is, is measuring your self-worth to, to one another, then you need to see how much you're worth. See the value that has been, that has been conferred on your life. I mean, if you're a billionaire and someone next, your next door neighbor makes a couple bucks, are you ever jealous of that? We have to see we are billionaires in Christ and that's the cure to our poison. And so to be able to see this new worth, the value that is undeniable comes by seeing the person of Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise, which is the cure to the poison. Oh, that's a lot right there. Let's say it again. <laughs> that the person of Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. That's the cure to the poison. And so ha have you ever met someone who's, no matter how traumatic of a past they've had, they're the most joyful people you ever meet. And you're just like, how does that happen through you? How are you so peppy? <laughs> how are you so filled with, with the Holy Spirit with joy and I may have gotten my dream house and my dream vacation. I'm miserable. How are you so happy? Look at, look at verse 48. You see, the Gentiles believe, and this missionary journey is a success. Then in verse 49, the word begins to spread. And then in verse 50, the Jews are incited, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, what may feel like a success, they just got kicked out of the city. They just got rejected. And so how do you not internalize that to feel like you got rejected? And that's what Paul and Barnabas had to do, and that's what we all have to do, is to see that when people reject the message, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. They are rejecting God, and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, the way they can just shake the dirt off their feet, which is just a sign of saying, let them deal with it, is because they believe that they, they are, are part of something bigger. And instead of being filled with envy, as the passage begins, it says they're filled with joy of the Holy Spirit. Because they knew they have something far greater than man's approval. Something far greater than likes to be searching out. This is the non-envious life. This is what it looks like. When you know your worth, 
people's opinions don't matter as much. Obviously, we're all humans, and words will hurt, right? That, that, that's true, but that's why we have to keep preaching the good news to ourselves. We have to keep preaching the good news of the person of Jesus. And that person is for you. It's like Kathy Keller, she wrote this in an article recently and says, when you have an infinite supply line, it's like this. Jealousy is like two ants fighting over who gets to eat the elephant. It's two ants fighting over who gets to eat the elephant. And you go say, what are we fighting for? God's love is so abundant. It's not as if, like, your success means my demise. God's love and his kingdom is not a fixed pie where we all have to carve out spaces for ourselves. It's as if, like, the Jews were like the child who heard the parents say, hey, well, you're going to have a new baby. And they're like, no, I don't want it. <laughs> but we all know as parents that when we add a new child to the family, our love for our children doesn't diminish it changes, it, it gets fuller, just like the expressions of worship and, and, and God's family as it went out from, from Jews to Gentiles, it, it got fuller in, in, a, in a bigger way, but it didn't lessen the love for the Jewish people. We are better for it, right? We are better for this. We've got to stop thinking that God has a limit to his love. We've got to stop thinking this way. When we meet the person of Jesus, we realize there is no limit to that love. That you have a God who has a storehouse, a treasure in heaven, that he left that to come down to earth and to be humiliated by the people he loves, to be murdered by the people he loves. At any point, he could have backed out. But because he has limitless love for you, he doesn't. Jesus didn't say in that moment, though, when the wrath of God was being poured out on him, he didn't, he didn't have envy and jealousy in his heart and said, why, God? Why, why are you pouring this out on me and not them? They deserve death, and that's absolutely right. But because Jesus wasn't envious, we don't have to be either. I mean, Jesus knew God's love has no end. God's love is not a box of cookies that we're all fighting for the last cookie. God's love says, I own the factory that makes the cookies. Here's the keys. Have at it. And we'll make some more when that runs. Right? God's love is endless. I, I pulled a scripture in late, so I don't, I don't have my notes here. I, I think we pulled it up here on Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. It's just a picture of the love of Christ here. It says, for in him, we're talking about Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You have the God of heaven and earth who is pleased to dwell in Jesus, made peace by spilling blood for you and me. That is the limitless love that we are talking about there. I mean, so what kind of love has that type of storehouse behind us? I mean, if, if we start realizing that, if someone around us gets a raise, we can say, good for you. We don't have to be envious about that because we do have an inheritance that's worth far more than that. If someone else gets the job, the relationship, the life that we want, we can shake the dust off our feet, not with jealousy, but with joy. Because you and I have limitless love of God. We, we know that God is working all things out for our good. And so when we say, must be nice, 
We would say, you're right, it is nice. It's great. It's better than nice. It's bedrock, and you can have it too. There is no limit to this. And so even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like we don't have the access to that limitless love, God is at work, and he loves you anyways. But I want to ask you, in those moments when you are doubting the love of Christ, is envy creeping into your heart? Is it, is it locking you in that, to that prison cell? Are other people's lives becoming prison cells for us and become trapped in by what they do? They become the prison guard. We have to live our own life. And so I'd say, break out of prison with me today. Break out of that jail cell. And if our eyes don't immediately go to our phones and immediately go to checking other people's statuses, but they go to Jesus and the status he's conferred on you, oh, Lord, that could change us. And we could say, that's my story. I love to hear about your story, but I love to hear about the story that God's brought me into. That's my story. Oh, how you love me. That is a personal relationship that some of us don't yet know about. I ask you today to repent over your jealousy celebrate the people around you get out of that prison by catching a vision for the limitless love of christ because the person of jesus christ extends that promise to every single one of us let's pray